This is the chapter that stresses the entire book of Hebrews, stresses the, the church and the purpose that Christ had of establishing it. This one focuses on it being the eternal purpose that God purposed before the world even began. And I want to just discuss with you uh, some things according to the teachings of the whole Bible and the church about a uh, whole Bible and the New Testament and about the church and God's purpose and how that it relates to us as we worship and serve him here. We're part of that. And uh, this is a sacred, uh, very uh, close thing to our hearts. I want to read with you uh, this chapter. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. We don't know what that epistle was, but maybe the efficient epistle that to the Laodiceans may have been that, that he's referring to. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ has been has been mentioned twice here, and it is that which has not been explained, but now is explained. And it still has some things that we don't certainly understand everything about God, but we understand enough to relate to him. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. It's definitely that the people who lived before did not enjoy the blessings and the relationship that we have with our God, with Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. This teaching makes that known. As it is now revealed, it didn't mean that they didn't know and that he, he didn't have some kind of relationship with them, but it was not made known as it is today, and we can be thankful that we understand it. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, so is that which is in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures have been given to us to understand how God has given to us his great guidance through the apostles and through the prophets and through his spirit. And it's up to us to appropriate it and be a part of it. The sixth verse says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. And that's significant. And that is is designating that there is just one body for the Jews and the Gentiles. There is just one place to worship God. There is just one way to worship God that is in Christ, and that is through his sacrifice upon the cross. And the Gentiles are fellow heirs. There's no difference. And they're partakers of his promise in Christ by this good news. This good news is the mystery made known. For 
Father, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. He, there, there was never a more stubborn, dogmatic, rebellious Jew than Paul at one time. And he was against God. He defied God. He put to death God's body. Christ, people who were dwelling, uh, had Christ dwelling in them. He literally killed them. And yet God graciously gives unto him the power because he was sincere and because he, he, he did it ignorantly in unbelief. He gave him the power to, to tell the people of his time about this effectual working of God. The eighth verse says, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints. And he's not boasting. He is using this term because he is the least of all saints because of what he's done, how he rebelled for ten years against Christ. How did he put to death many people? It is the grace given? Now this grace is unmerited favor. It's help. It's strength. It's the message that we're talking about. It's a message that we have to share. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. If we just understood that we have something that the world that doesn't know Christ, doesn't have. And here it's called the unsearchable riches. The unsearchable riches. A person is failing to relate to Christ and to God and to the Holy Spirit when he is negligent about appropriating and making the, they, them the center of his life. His purpose in verse 9 is to make all men see, to make all men see. We're in the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament, in chapter 3 and verse 9, if you come in and you want to be with us in this study. Ephesians 3 and verse 9. As his purpose to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, it is something to be shared, and it's something to be taught, and it's something to be explained. And it was with God's help that Paul was able to do this. And today we have this message. And each one of us has a different way of explaining it. We can't change it, but we can explain it to people. And our lack of interest is probably the reason why we, we don't have more people in the body of Christ. But if we can get caught up in the fact that each one of us has a responsibility to share this message, and just if you just share it with one person, and take your time to share it and ask God's help. It is what Paul was doing here, and he did it, 
And the ninth verse says, He did it to make all men see what is his fellowship. So it's here for us. It's here for us to explain. It's here for us to share. It's here for us to encourage others to see it. Which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. It was a purpose to be made known. But who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, we just assume that and we take that for granted. We're not trying to prove that. That's just a statement. And to a Christian who believes in God in Christ, they lose the whole value of it if they don't believe that. That God brought everything into existence through Christ. And Christ brought everything into existence. And we who are existing in this body and flesh, he wants us to live forever and ever and to be a part of his, his being. And that's the reason he came. Number 10 says, To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Now that 10th verse is impressing the Ephesian brethren that the same as Christ did when he, before he ascended to heaven, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he said, You go unto every creature, according to Mark. According to Matthew, he said, You make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. And Look at that 10th verse. This is really the Great Commission. This is implied here. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God is that mystery that has been made known. It's that teaching that has been made known that all men may be a part of heaven's kingdom. And number 11 says, it's according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, it isn't necessary, if you believe this, to try to get in a feud about which church is right. Because that's turning a bunch of conflicts into a feud. And when a person understands the message that God gave us, it's just that all men could be made one with God. And that is, that is the body of Christ. That is the church. And he didn't have in mind of the splintered faiths and efforts that people and man might make to justify themselves before God. The body of Christ it was an eternal purpose. And he purposed that in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, he made everything. He made everything, and he planned everything to be subject to him. And he knew the devil was in existence, and he knew the devil had a chance to deceive man. But he knew that in Christ there was a there was the potential of reaching out and redeeming men who would believe in the God that created them. 
and still remain free. They could have their freedom of choice. And that's just how precious he made us and how wonderful he made us that we can make decisions. And I think the greatest thing that we need to discover within our own minds is we have the freedom to worship God and to serve God and to get excited about the church or we have the freedom not to be concerned. And when we are, we're giving way to the devil who deceived man in the beginning. But the greatest news that we can share with people is that we're part of the eternal purpose of God. And it's on our own. It's because we choose to have that. And he has so much confidence in us that he knows we can make the right choice. And he doesn't need us in heaven if we don't give him our all. He can't use us in heaven if we can't give him our best. He just doesn't have a place for a person in heaven who doesn't want to give his best to Jesus Christ and believe in him. Look at number 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. And that's what spurs people on to have a great interest in the church of our Lord. The 13th verse says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you which is your glory. And then he has a prayer. And the prayer from the 14th verse through the 21st verse is a prayer that can invigorate us and can help us as the body of Christ to understand the inner working of what the church has, the energy that the church has. There's not a one of us here this evening that doesn't believe. I don't believe in prayer. If you have faith, you believe in prayer. There's not one of us here that doesn't believe that we ought to pray through Christ and through his name because he created everything and because he established the possibility of us being believers and being one. But I'd venture to say that there's plenty of us here that fail to pray to God to give us wisdom, to recognize the awesome responsibility that we have as being a member of his body and sharing it with others. This prayer, he says, for this cause, showing that we are part of the mystery of God that was kept secret from the foundation of the world and was just shadowed and just mentioned and man was never given the Spirit of God actually like he is now. Never given God's, God's presence like he is now. He, he was at his presence by the cloud and by the fire at night and by speaking and by helping him perform miracles. But he never really had ever given himself to people and just left them on their own to believe it. And when he did, he still has the devil. He's the prince of the air, according to this Ephesians here, second chapter. He's the prince of the air. I know Peter said he's going about his roaring line, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I can't explain that part. 
I don't know why that's in God's plan. But I know in God's plan in the second chapter of the of the of Hebrews, he said he was made like one of us. And he went into the grave. And he abolished his stronghold, Satan. And it leaves us with with having faith to believe that he has abolished old Satan. Now, we may have a time thinking that he hasn't, and we may let our anger, and we may let our resentment, and we may let our, our, a lot of emotions that's, uh, that we've come in touch with in our lifetime separate us from the real mind of Christ. But we need to possess the mind of Christ. And we need to claim the indwelling of Christ. That is the church. The church is made up of people who believe that Christ fulfilled the eternal purpose and came to give Jews and Gentiles both his himself, that they could really war against old Satan. And by warring against old Satan, he means that we have to hold to God and the darts of Satan will take care of themselves. They'll just fall without any power. Now look at this 14th uh, verse of this third chapter. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In prison, Paul is trying to impress those people that he, he preached to for three months in the synagogue and then two years at, in the school of Tyrannus. And he taught them and he he, he, he worked in the, the morning at building tents, according to history and what we found out, and he worked in the afternoon. Uh, he taught in the school of Tyrannus. And uh, at night, he taught. He went with tears. And he, he labored uh, intently there to teach them exactly what he's saying here. And now he's writing back. And he's saying, you're a part of the grace of God that had been held in keeping until he gave it to humanity. And I came there, and those people piled up their, their books, and they burned them, and they followed the living God. And this is the one he's making known unto them. And he said, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there's an entire family in heaven, and there's one on earth. They were part of the purpose of God, and part of it was, was the one that he'd, he'd killed a lot of people and sent them on to heaven. He saw them dying. He saw Stephen dying. And it, when he was dying, he prayed that, uh, that the Lord would receive his spirit. And he understood now that there's a part of the family of God on the other side. And there's part of it here. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And he knew, he's the one that wrote us about Ephesians 4, where he said when Jesus went into, into the, uh, the grave, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. He knew that all those people from Adam on down had been uh, taken to paradise by the blood of Christ, the ones that had faith. And so he is laboring here, and he understands, and, and he sees that the church is, 
It is the family of God in heaven and on earth. And uh, he, he says the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And, and it's not in use to fuss about a name which church is right. Well, who is it named for? It's named for Jesus Christ. It says right here. Acts 12, uh, Acts 4 and 12 said, There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. But Jesus himself said, You go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That just means by their authority. Peter said in, on the day of Pentecost, In the name of Jesus Christ, you baptize. What, what, kind of, what, what, how, what authority is that? What Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission, it had to be in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's his authority. And really people who had operated and understood that Christ was in authority and Christ is a king and Christ is a ruler, that he's in our hearts and he's in our lives. Now the 16th verse gives us some power and some potential of what can bring the church alive today. And his prayer here from prison, writing back to them, if they can understand this, can make them alive. His prayer was that they, they would be granted, grant you according to the riches of his glory. I, I just wonder, uh, we're in chapter 3 of Ephesian letter, and we're in the 16th verse. And I just wonder... How many of us today can look at that 16th verse and we can pray this prayer and ask that God would grant us what do you think according to his eternal uh, riches of his glory? If you're, if you're glowing inside with the glory of Christ, you're reigning with the King. He's saying, wake up. And in 24th chapter of, 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 of uh, Psalms, he said, the king of glory, lift up ye gates, and the king of glory, come in. That's when he was raised and when he took his throne. And this is similar to this. Christ is reigning. And when we do that, look at that next phrase. We can be strengthened. How can you be strengthened? On the day of Pentecost, there was promise unto every one of them that would repent and be baptized the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 4 and verse 6, he says, He sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out the Father. Acts 5.32, he gives his Holy Spirit to people who obey him. And in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, he talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he's dwelling within us, and we just need to appropriate it. The church is, is that body of Christ that appropriates the Spirit. It isn't a dead church that has this, it's a frown on its face and doesn't believe that things can exist and that we can touch, can't touch people's hearts. If it loses touch with this, it can. But the seventh, 17th verse, why would he... He's talking about the eternal purpose of God. He's talking about the church. Why would he re-emphasize in the 17th verse similar thing to what he did in the 16th verse? It's just to get them to be alive. And the interaction and the relationship that we have with Christ, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 
You know, you're going to some church and you and you, you say, well, I just went there and it just looked like they were just dead. Nobody spoke to me. Or you may go and say, well, they're just so friendly and they're just uh, happy and, and, and uh, you can just see the Spirit of God there. Well, this is, this is what he's saying here. He said, I want you to have Christ in your hearts. And the only way he could dwell in your hearts is if you believe that he's in your heart. It's by faith. If you don't believe he's in your heart, what? You don't have him. And you can just tell when a person believes that they're saved and when they're lost or when they don't know. And here's what he was praying, that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. Now, if he was praying that, it's a possibility that Christ might not dwell in their hearts if they didn't have faith. Or he wouldn't be praying that. And that's something for us to think about. And in that 17th verse, he tells us, he gives us a little nudge how to have that love. He also prays that they would have the Spirit, that they'd have the, the, the Christ, and that they would have love. And then he gives us a nudge here of how that is that's grounded in love. Well, what is love? By 1 Corinthians the 10th, the, the 13th chapter, he said it suffers long. It's kind. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy. It's full of just service. It doesn't just look at people and say, oh, what's going to be wrong with him now? Let me take that. Let me check up on him. Oh, I knew he wouldn't. I knew he was a scalawag. I knew that, that that's just the way I figure it. And I figure it on everybody. That's not love. That's hate. That's hate. That's a lack of love. And you can get rid of your paranoia just by having the love of Christ. And every one of us is paranoid to some degree. We all have suspicion of people, but it's the devil working in us. But the devil doesn't work in a person who has faith. He kicks him out by faith. And the body of Christ is filled with love. Now, when that happens, when you have the Spirit, and when you have Christ, and when you have love working, then you may be able to understand. To comprehend is to understand. With all saints. Well, now, what is that? Well, this four dimension here, the breadth, length, depth, and height, is really deep. It's, it's really high. It's really wide. And he said, if you, if, if you have the love and grounded in that love, you can really know, you can come to know the love of Christ. Now, it's possible that we don't know the love of Christ if we haven't followed those things. And his prayer was that they would know, and that word is to keep on knowing, to keep on knowing the love of Christ. And when you keep on knowing the love of Christ, people can talk about you. They can say dirty things about you. They can say they can have uh, nonverbal language and all of that, and it still doesn't make you act like the devil because you understand Christ. 
and it passes all knowledge. And, and, and you can just be filled with God. When people mistreat you and say things bad about you and don't uh, properly give you the recognition that you ought to have if you're trying to live in Christ, if you're part of the body of Christ, you act just like Christ. And that's what the church of Christ is. And that's what we ought to share with people. It's not a denomination. It never will be a denomination. It's not a part of the denomination. The denomination may practice some of the things that we are teaching here, and I hope they always do. But when you're a member of the body of Christ, you are part of the, the eternal purpose of God, and you're unique. And that prayer continues, and he says, Now, if you take this, if you take this, and if you understand this, You just commit yourself to him who is able. Now, the reason you commit yourself to him is because he created everything. He has made the mystery known. And he's given us of himself. We have his spirit. We have his person. We uh, have faith in him that he's there all the time. He'll never leave us. And he's able to do a lot of things that we're not able to do. And you know the reason why people say, oh, well, that won't work. No, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to invite anybody. Why? Well, because somebody doesn't in, in, agree with me, and I, I, don't think, I, I, I don't think we're doing what we ought to do on this just because. Isn't that a small concept of God? Christ is here. And he's bigger than our differences or some of the little issues that might be facing us. If we're tied up in issues, God help us to, to broaden our look at Christ. He's able to help us to do uh, even above what you ask or think. And you know how that is? Look at the latter part of that 21st. It's according to the power that works in us. And his power that works in us is that we will be full of faith. That we will be strengthened by spirit. That we'll be strengthened by Christ that's in us. His power works in us. He just mentioned that. He's strengthened. That word power is, is, is a, that word up there in the 16th verse. Is, that's, a, that's the word right up there. Strengthened. How? With his spirit. Christ may dwell. How? By faith. Faith is the power, the connection that puts us together. According to the power that worketh in us, and it works all the time. To the Philippian brethren, he said, It is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He is in us. Unto him be glory. And where are you going to be have the glory? In the church. A Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. I want to make a plea to you. The first Sunday in September, we're going to change this class, and we're going to have five meetings on uh, lessons that we have revised, and they're very powerful 
on now that I'm a Christian and to be faithful and to be studious and to be prayerful and to be similar to what I've said tonight. This is sort of the heart of it. And each one of us can make phone calls through our directory. And and we can make calls to you see how people are. Some of the people that don't come Sunday night, young couples, we're going to try to work on people and try to get them to come. We should say we've got a program that we're going to start on Sunday night, and it's going to be a video, but it's going to be a powerful, and it's going to be some handouts where you can sort of work out, work through this material, and it's going to make us stronger. And we're making a thrust here to sort of help to build up uh, interest in the in the attendance and in the work of the church. And 30 minutes before that, we're going to have singing. So the is going to help us with some Sioux songs, and we're going to have a, a little things that will appeal to uh, people to sort of get interested in the drills of God and of the Bible and the things. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll prepare for people who have children, and we'll try to prepare for them. Now, I want you to pray about that. If you can't do anything but just pray about it, I'd like you to pray about it. Because this is the Lord's work, and he can help us, and he can grow. And the church is, is very important. It's the body of Christ. And it's made up of people who believe and repent and have been baptized into him and have put him on, and they just take on his name. And that's to be shared with everybody that would come in touch with him. If you're here this evening, you're not a Christian, you become one. If you haven't been faithful, you can come and we'll pray with you as we stand together and sing.